No Bible story comes falling out of the air, dropping in our middle without any context. No part of our life occurs without any context. And our faith itself, our trust in God, how we understand Him, how we understand Jesus and what He means to us and how He impacts our life does not come without context. And as I've thought about this story this morning that we're centering our time on of Jesus coming into Jerusalem... I asked myself the question, what is the context of this story? What's happened in all of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right before Jesus gets on this uh, donkey or on this colt of a donkey and is welcomed into Jerusalem? And so I went through the stories, and I'd like to just briefly sketch that context with you by actually reading the stories of the context that happens right before Jesus went into Jerusalem. We're going to start with Matthew 20. We're going to project the text on the wall. If you have a Bible, of course, feel free to follow along. This is right before the story of the triumphal entry. As they went out of Jericho, that is Jesus with the people that were following him, a great crowd followed him. And behold, there were two blind men sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent. But they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus in pity, and the word here pity means deeply moved with compassion. In his bowels, as the old King James Version would likely say, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. And in Mark, the next gospel, Mark, uh, Mark and Matthew are very much similar. You have a similar story. It's a little different. You'll notice some of the differences. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. They called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So in this city of Jericho, it's interesting that Jericho plays a central role here. On the threshold of Jesus moving into Jerusalem, he meets these blind men. They're men who cannot participate in normal society life. They have a handicap. They have a disability. 
They're men who beg for a living. They can't work normally. And begging in that time and in that culture, as it is in many cultures around the world, is really a normal part of the safety net of Jewish society. But still, to not be able to work, to only have to beg for what you need to live. Men who were desperately crying out for healing, they kept doing it, even though they were rebuked by the crowd for their cries for mercy. Can you imagine so longing to be healed? And here comes the man whom you think you can do it. And while you're trying to get in touch with him, the crowd around you is yelling at you. And then Jesus looks at them and he's moved deeply in his heart and he reaches out and he touches and he heals. And these stories happen, right? The very next thing that happens is that Jesus gets on the donkey and moves into Jerusalem. Now looks at, let's look at Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered where? Jericho was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, a Jew in service of the Romans, collecting taxes, and therefore despised by fellow Jews as a collaborator, literally called a sinner by the townspeople, who grumbled when Jesus went to Zacchaeus' house. Frederick Buechner describes Zacchaeus this way, he's a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. And he's an oppressor. You get that? He's an oppressor. Working for and profiting from the oppressing class and stealing from the poor. A totally different kind of person than these blind men. He's on the other end of society. And then somewhere during this meal with Jesus, we don't know how it happened or why it happened, but, but he repents. He has a change of heart. says, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to cheat anymore. So I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor and I'm going to restore fourfold of anything that I have defrauded. And Jesus says, today salvation has come. And then 
the Palm Sunday story in John is a little more complicated. Um, In John chapter 11, Jesus has raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. I'm not going to go into that story very much. I hope it's familiar with with most of you. But one of his best friends, Lazarus, had died, and Jesus came and raised him from the dead. And that, that... brought a, 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 a lot of conflict, especially between the people and Lazarus and the rulers, the Sadducees, the Pharisees of the people. And then John says this, and this is right before, and then, then after, um, after the raising of Lazarus, you have in John this story, maybe you remember it, of Jesus is with Mary, likely Martha and Lazarus at their home for dinner, and then Mary takes this jar of alabaster ointment and breaks it and pours it over Jesus' feet. Maybe you remember that story. And then John says this, When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there in Bethany after Mary had anointed his feet with oil, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, though the second time. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So in the book of John, in the story that John tells, right before this triumphal entry, Jesus has healed Lazarus. He's had this meal at Lazarus, Mary, and Martha's house. And now John is very explicit to say, that it was because of Lazarus that the people were coming to see Jesus, and they decided to even try to put Lazarus to death. So out of this tension, out of this partisanship, out of this right and left conflict, political conflict, this this struggle for power, The next story is the triumphal entry. And I'm I'm putting this out because the way the language of the Gospels is, is it's very clear, because these Gospel writers didn't waste any words. It's very clear by the language in each one of these stories that there's a link between what happens before And then what happens as Jesus makes preparations, gets on the donkey, it's told every time in a little bit of a different way. There's always a link between what happens before and this story. In other words, as Jesus is going into Jerusalem on this donkey with all these people, he's carrying with him, as it were, all of these stories and all of these events and all these things he's seen, and all these things he's done, and all of the people he's met, and the people he's healed, and Zacchaeus, and Lazarus, and the Pharisees. And he's, 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 this is a cloud that's coming with it's It's going with him. It's on his mind as he goes into Jerusalem. And so the account that I'd like to read for you is just a very brief account is in John chapter 12 starting with verse 12. The next day, 
the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna. And Hosanna means, save us. It's not exactly an expression of just praise, like hallelujah or praise the Lord. It has that in it. But it's way more a cry to be saved. So the crowd went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So Jesus has in the day or days right before this event, Healed the blind men. Saved Zacchaeus. Turned him around from being an oppressive collaborator. Making his money on cheating. He stood before the the grave of Lazarus and wept from deep in his bowels. And he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. And he's seen and he's heard and he's noticed the conflict that arose because of what he did. And the conflict that there is in this city of Jerusalem as all these people come up for the Passover. And Jesus says, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And as he says those words, he's very deliberately quoting from an ancient prophet, the prophet Zechariah, who prophesied right around the time, five or six hundred years before this time, right around the time that the city of Jerusalem was being destroyed, Over the last couple of months, we've actually talked about that here quite a bit. So you know that history, hopefully. And the prophet Zechariah, in chapter 9, says this. Rejoice greatly. So Jesus says, fear not, or or John says, fear not. But the, the word that Zechariah uses is, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Fear not, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, dear people, Bartimaeus, the two blind men, Zacchaeus caught in this web of oppression and greed and money, Lazarus caught 
in the web and in the bindings of death behind that stone. The Jewish people coming into Jerusalem, on the one hand, wanting to believe that something is going to happen that's going to change their life forever, and on the other hand, worried to death that the Romans might decide that now is the time to wipe them out. And in the midst of that, Jesus says, Fear not, O daughter of Zion. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. And these words sound, again, this morning, to us in 2022. To us in our blindnesses. Real or uh, physical. Or the, the mental, spiritual, emotional, relational blindnesses we have. From which we so much need to be healed. The oppression that we commit. The way we take part in an exploitive society. And we're draining the earth. The way we fund the war machine. The way our economic and environmental policies feed off those who are poor and can't do anything about it. And we need to be saved from that. And from the deaths that we die every day as we're injured and hurt by other people. Even some of the people who love us the most. Or the death that we're all going to face at some point as we get wrapped up and put in that grave. Or the conflict that we find in our society around us. What is truth? How do we go further? How do we move ahead? What do we do about the wars and the battles? The theologian Elizabeth Ochtermeyer wrote this about the chapter, about this verse from uh, Zechariah. Only by a righteous rule are the weak protected and the strong enabled to serve beyond their own self-interest. Get that? The strong enabled to serve beyond their own self-interest. The strong can serve, but it's often in their own self-interest. Only by a caring rule are we delivered from the tyranny of ourselves or of the mob or of outrageous fortune. We need a power, a wisdom, a shepherding beyond our own temptations and limitations. And it is the coming of such a wise and powerful and peaceful shepherd that is announced here to Israel. We need a power, a wisdom, a shepherding beyond our own temptations and limitations. And it is the coming of such a wise and powerful and peaceful shepherd that is announced here to Israel. This righteous ruler who 
protects the weak and helps the strong serve beyond your self-interest. A caring ruler that delivers us from the tyranny of ourselves like he delivered Zacchaeus. Or of the mob like he delivered the blind men. Or of outrageous fortune. We need a power, a wisdom, a shepherding beyond our own temptations and limitations. And if we allow that king to enter the Jerusalem of our lives and hearts, not with power, not with the sword, not with the weapon, but as a gentle, righteous, caring, wise shepherd. Then number one, he's with us. And he goes through our lives with us. And he gives us what we need. Not necessarily to solve everything, because don't forget, 40 years later, Jerusalem was literally destroyed. Not necessary to wrap everything up in a nice bow. But to go with us through the pain and agony and distress and whatever else it is of our lives. And that's what Holy Week is all about. And then Zechariah says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem. And note that Ephraim is one of the tribes of Israel. And Jerusalem, of course, is the capital city of Jerusalem. So who needs to be disarmed? Not them. We think we read this, oh, they need to be disarmed. No, we need to be disarmed. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, the war horse from Jerusalem. Jesus says, I'm going to come in as a king on a donkey and I'm going to disarm you. And the battle bow shall be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations. Peace to the nations. Bartimaeus and the blind men needed peace. Zacchaeus needed peace so desperately that he was willing to climb a tree and make himself look like a fool in order to get it. Lazarus and Mary and Martha needed peace. The people of Israel needed peace. The Pharisees needed peace. The, Roman, the Romans needed peace. You need peace. And I need peace. So where do you need peace this morning? And how does Jesus riding into Jerusalem bring peace for you and for the world? I give you that to consider as you go into the Holy Week.
Monday, Thursday evening, we celebrate or we remember the death of Christ. The day on which he took all of the evil and war of the world upon himself and gave himself completely, took up no weapons, refused to take up any weapons, and made peace possible. Or did he? What do you think? And then his resurrection from the dead. And all of that means. Where do you need peace this morning? And how do you think Jesus riding into Jerusalem brings peace for you and for the world in which we all live? Amen.